Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. And this is the 36th episode of the Great Expectations podcast. We took a little break. Seven year break. But we're back. That's right. And uh, we've just wrapped up a recording of our discussion of our opinions of Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars from 1984 over on the Marvel Noise podcast. And uh, if you feel inclined to check that out, you should do that. But tonight, here on episode 36. Okay, okay, it's episode 37. Sorry. We're going to discuss the fallout of Colossus's decisions on Battleworld back in 1984, vis-a-vis his betrayal of his love of one Miss Catherine Pride. Sean, are you ready? I am ready. Are you ready? I'm I'm ready. Very quickly. Uh, we don't have to go in depth on these, but I feel like sequentially they must be touched on. Sure. Uh, the I X-Men. Re- Re- Do you remember the last issue we talked about seven years ago? I don't. See. But oh, I'm hoping it was 180. We were getting close to 180 because uh, we're going to... We're going to start here on 181. X-Men! The X-Men have just returned from Battleworld, returned to their home planet by the Beyonder. And uh, strangely, the X-Men, except for Scott Summers, have appeared in Japan. Yep. And, oh, one thing we never mentioned on Marvel Noise was that during... Secret Wars, Kitty got left behind, but Lockheed came along with them and immediately disappeared in issue one. And at the very end, he returned with another little dragon that he'd fallen head over heels in love with. And uh, as they were. That's the story we needed, not the one we got. Right. I would. 12 issue miniseries of Lockheed falling in love. There's plenty of opportunities. Claremont's got nothing to do. It's true. Let's do it. Come on, Marvel. Uh, so they return uh, near Tokyo. Yep. Somewhere in Japan. Hope so. And um, not only do they return, but that green dragon that fell in love with Lockheed followed them into their portal thing that transported them home. And upon arriving on Earth, became a giant dragon thing, like huge kaiju sized. And attacks the city of Tokyo. So the X-Men spend the whole issue along with a little uh, appearance by Sunfire. Yep. Uh, spend the issue trying to stop this monster. And, um, you know, there are, there are fatalities caused by the attack. This Wolverine finds this mother and, and 
child. Uh, the mother dies, um, and the but not before Wolverine promises that uh, the child will be raised like it's his own. And I I don't know if we ever yeah it's Yukio isn't it? Is it? I think so. Oh. I unfortunately didn't read this issue in the prep for this because I didn't think that we were going to have to, but I was under the impression that the little girl is Yukio. Damn. Because, dude, Claremont leaves no stone unturned. That's the thing that I've definitely learned about him. Because in issue number 182, you get the rogue-centric story uh-huh. where uh, Michael Rossi's been kidnapped. Been We're getting a while there. Since I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, there. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> Put a pin in it. Okay. Uh, so eventually they they do stop the dragon. It disappears. Uh, and I it was like a speed read for me to get this done today. But so uh, I was not able to piece together how it happened or why it happened. But it disappeared. I'm going to assume it ended up on Monster Island. Um, Sounds great. But uh, it had gone rogue because it discovered its love for Lockheed was unrequited. And uh, it turned out in a sad twist, little O. Henry moment, that it was tearing apart the city because it was building a nest for their home. Yeah, that's touching. Yeah, I thought so. Issue 182. X-Men. Cover features Rogue in a new costume. And Sean, I mentioned this before we started recording. It's my it's my favorite Rogue costume, I think. She's got this like giant oversized orange sweater with a green belt around it. So it's like a sweater dress, yep. belted Very with 80s. like these big old sleeves that uh, tie into the the belt or whatever. Very eighties. Very eighties. And she's got the uh, the black tights underneath it all uh, that she'll continue to wear all through the Ramita run when she's got the green tank top yep. with the. That's a good one. I love that one too. That's I, I one. really like the way. So, rogue costumes are good. They're all good, but uh, Ramita I think brings to the table for the female characters some like serious. And it's 80s style, but, like, some style. Yeah. You know, like, they're rocking some pretty cool outfits for the time, I thought. Like, very fashion forward. And you can kind of see that, like, he's, that's why he's the guy they chose to draw a Dazzler. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, issue 182 uh, is a rogue story. Uh, she's getting blasted by a gun on the cover. And, um... I love this issue, man. I think it's really cool. And it kind of explores um, what the after effects of her attack on Captain Marvel really were on a psychological level. Because uh, she decides to fly home on her own, not on a plane, but just fly. Like She flies halfway around the world all by herself. Beats the rest of the team home. And goes into the professor's office and there's like 50 messages on the on the answering machine because they've been gone for a week. There's a note from uh, Ilyana that uh, they, that Kitty went to uh, the Massachusetts Academy 
with Doug and got kidnapped by the White Queen. She thought she was going to be safe there because the White Queen was in a coma. She's not. Uh, Surprise. Hello, bitch. We're going to need to go visit that sometime. Yeah. I mean, you have, as you mentioned, you've done Uh, the reread. Yep. um, So when we stopped the podcast for whatever reason. um, Remembers. Yeah. Seven years ago. Water under the bridge. Um, I continued reading everything, uh, finished it all, and then went back and started again from the 60s. And when I did the second read, since I wasn't doing it to try to go for a podcast and I could just kind of read, um, I incorporated a lot of stuff that we overlooked. For instance, knowing that Mystique first shows up in Miss Marvel, I actually went back and got all of the Miss Marvel stuff uh-huh. and read it. And one of the things that I love about this issue is the fact that, like, Rossi was in the Miss Marvel book. Claremont had written him previously. So this is him once again proving how good he is. I know everybody always makes the joke that there were, like, countless threads and stuff that he would always put up there. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind because when he did go back and tug at those threads, it was always fantastic. Man. Yeah. He would lay stuff down that years later would pay off. And this, like, Rossi stuff in this issue, just the whole exploration of, like, what Rogue was going through after absorbing her powers, kind of seeing Carol's personality come through, mm-hmm. um, was so much more interesting to me now, having, having gone back and, and read Carol's stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I thought that was... Yeah, so... So what's going on is Rossi, uh, she hears a message from him that he's on the helicarrier, the shield helicarrier, doing some investigation, investigative work for Professor X. Yes. And he might be in trouble. So she goes to find him. Because it Panicked. triggers the Carol side. Yeah. We don't know where. So here's, here's what's interesting is I never read those Miss Marvel stories when I read this. So like, I didn't know the backstory. So I'm kind of experiencing it like rogue, right? Where like, she's having this emotional response to a man she's never met. So she, for those who don't know, in Avengers annual 10, she attacks Miss Marvel and absorbs all of her powers and all of her memories and personality. And they become part of her leaving Miss Marvel basically a blank slate. Uh, it's like a total mind raping, you know, and uh, partially probably inadvertent. Like, I don't think she knew how far she was no. taking it at the time she was doing it. If she knew what it was going to mean for her, I, she, she probably would have taken it that far. And actually, that's some of the stuff. I was actually surprised how much Rogue and Mystique and stuff is in that original 70s Miss Marvel series because towards the end of it, like when it was ramping down, you know, ramping up in story, down in sales, yeah. Um, Claremont was clearly going to where he went with Avengers Annual 10 because Rogue had been a thorn in Carol's side in that series for sure and yeah. sent there on behalf of Mystique. Mm-hmm. And it was a bad day for everybody. I don't think you need to go and do that to connect, obviously, because you did with this issue and yeah. I did many times before going back and reading the Miss Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's maybe one of the things that I've liked the most out of doing this is like kind of seeing how 
just how tight and cohesive the universe was back then. Yeah. And it wasn't done in like a, oh, you know, these characters are going to be in every single book. I mean, they really tried to make it everything make sense. Yeah. Well, I, the thing that they were allowed to do, I think I think this is still allowed and encouraged is uh when a writer would move from a book to book to a new book, uh they'd pack their characters up and take them with them, you know, and and if he was writing Power Man and Iron Fist and moved on uh to X-Men like like Burn, yeah. Uh Colleen Wing's going to come along and Misty Knight and Sabretooth and Jean Grey is going to end up rooming with Misty yeah. Knight, you know, like, and you get that kind of mixing of characters from, from writers moving. Uh, do you see that much anymore? I don't know, but I, I, I thought it was interesting. The frustration is for all the other writers that want to play with your toys. Yeah. You, you could tell them no. And I think Claremont was very protective of his characters because he had plans for them. Yeah. Right. And as you just demonstrated. So I don't know. It's a double edged sword. I think um, some things got kind of siloed because people were overprotective, but uh, they were protective for good reasons because of people like Jim Shooter jacking up their their stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, but, so this is kind of an exploration of what's going on in Rogue's head, uh, now that she's absorbed Miss Marvel's memories. And this is the first time, too, I think we're really seeing the effect of that. Yeah. And why she's as messed up as she needs to be. And why she needs Xavier and the X-Men's help. She shows up on their doorstep in tears and she's like, I can't take it anymore. I, I need help. But you don't really see how bad it is until this issue where she goes to save this guy that she in her head has a long past with uh lots of memories you know nicknames friendship more than friendship maybe yeah and and um but she's an 18 year old girl that when those things happened was just a little kid and so but she goes to to save him. Meanwhile, uh, Sebastian Shaw gets wor- a tip from a plant that he has in Shield that uh, this guy was just there investigating him. So, so that's what Professor X was looking for. He was looking for information about the uh, the Hellfire Club, and uh, and they're beating the hell out of out of uh, Michael Rossi. Real quick, uh huh. I hate that I can't Google Hellfire Club anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Is it okay that I have the t-shirt? My... Oh, it's totally fine. I enjoy Stranger Things. It was just yeah. one of those things where I was like, well, there goes that. That's what yeah. this is now forever. I mean, Claremont stole it from the Avengers. <laughs> the show, not the book. Yeah. So we need to make a meme for X-Men fans Yeah. Uh, where we rework the Chrissy Wake Up, I Don't Like This song i thought you know i thought it was when initially their title was announced i thought it was a reference to x-men because there were some dark yeah. phoenix reference in the first season so i was I like oh it, man i think it's a nod to the x-men i'm sure, sure it is but now yeah. every new kate bush fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man uh and as an old kate bush fan i was not upset that the kids are into it on the tic tacs 
<laughs> I was happy. I'm like, yeah. get, get that bread. That's right. Wow, train of thought. Yeah, sorry Go about on. that. Uh, no, so, good aside. So, uh, you know, he was investigating Sebastian Shaw and his dealings because it ain't good. He And he got caught with his hands in the cookie jar. And got beat to a pulp by some probably hellfire goons who are hiding out amongst the ranks of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Uh, or well, it turned cash. out it was the, the goon that was in Shaw's pocket was telling the other goon to go easy on him. Uh-huh. Until he got the order from Shaw to take Rossi out. And apparently the other guard. So he murders the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And he's about to take Rossi out when Rogue shows up. Uh, and I think this might be the origin of Gambit. The yeah. Gambit idea. Because when she attacks the Hellfire Club, she, like, flicks a Susan B. Anthony coin okay. at at the at the helicarrier. And, like, it's bouncing around inside, just, like, smashing everything. And she does it again later. And I'm like, just to go, is, is this about to be her thing? And he's like, wait, I could do this with playing cards and make a whole new character out of it. Maybe. Could uh-huh. be. He plants uh-huh. seeds. So, anyway, she saves Rossi, but he's beat to hell. So she takes him to her childhood home and uh, for him to recover. And he wakes up, and she's like, oh, I was so worried about you and, and all these memories, and this brings back all these things. And she's calling him, like, Ace or whatever his nickname is. And he's like, how the hell do you right. know that name? And she's like, what do you mean? I gave you that name. He's like, I just met you. I've never seen you before in my life. And she's like, what are you talking about? And so she's starting to freak out. He's freaking out. And then it comes out that she stole Carol Danvers' memory. And at that point, he goes from like, what's this lady's deal to she's the worst person in the world. And Carol's like, I care about this guy so much in Rogue's head. Uh, He completely rejects her and is like, get away from me. If I could kill you, I would. And she said, if you could, I would want you to. After he leaves. It's good stuff. Oh, man. I could squirt some tears over that one. So good. The melodrama. I know. Nobody can beat the X-Men. No. You can't. Can't touch it. That's what makes it so good. It is. Really good issue, I think. I I think it's well drawn. I was saying to Sean before we recorded that I think this is the issue where where Ramita figures out how he's going to draw Rogue. Like, what is her face shape? What are, what do her eyes look like? Like she her face is identifiable at that point. Like without the hair, without the costume, like you could you could tell her apart from Kitty or Storm. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad example. But um yeah, I think this is where she kind of like gets her Ramita identity in terms of the artwork. I agree. Okay, so those two issues out of the way. Now we get to the big one. X-Men! The real melodrama. Get these away from me. I don't want to accidentally knock my Sprecher root beer over and (gasps) ruin your perfectly mint comic books. Uh, So, 
one of the all-time X-Men covers in terms in terms of iconicity, I think. Sure. Colossus and Juggernaut half dressed in civilian clothes beating the hell out of each other with uh Nightcrawler and Wolverine looking on in the background. And it just goes right into it. I know, I love this page. It's so, I mean... (sighs) This issue is entitled, He'll Never Make Me Cry. I'm here to tell you, he made me cry. Yeah. You will believe a man can cry. Uh, So... These three pages are so good. The the this is the first time we see Kitty and Colossus together since the end of Secret War, since Colossus fell in love with another woman, an alien woman uh, who died saving his life. Ridiculous. He's he's torn up inside, not by the fact that he was unfaithful to Kitty or that he doesn't have feelings for her the way he used to. Or that it might hurt her. He's torn up because he lost his one true love. And it's important to make note that he has those feelings because she was a a mystical healer that healed severe injuries that took a long time and a lot of healing. And with each That old song and dance. (laughs) With each each healing... Baby. Like... Her she was feel, a mystical his feelings. <laughs> he doesn't try to. No, he doesn't. He doesn't believe that. True. Despite all the evidence, he believes he truly loves her, like she was his soulmate. Because this is the dumbest Colossus has ever been. <laughs> That's right. But it turns out it's a, a, a like a physiological response to the healing process. Sure. So, um, our boy got around, man. Oh, like when you Hooked have up a, with her. when you have a heart attack and then you recover and like you're different. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you as soon as it happens. <laughs> yeah, you let me know. <laughs> it's gonna be sooner than you think. So uh I mean yeah, for I'll ratings, just go ahead this and, episode. and flag this moment in this podcast where Jerry called his shot. <laughs> it seemed funny at the time until he dropped dead in his driveway a week later. Ah, rest in peace, Jerry. I'll do a good uh, memorial episode. Oh, I hope so. Or, yeah, yeah. Who are you going to have on? Is uh, it just going to be you? Probably some other better known X-Men podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just invite the Baron on. That'll okay. be it. Oh, yeah. He'll be dancing on my grave. I uh, d- he did kind of predict how things would go. We all knew how things were going to go. Come on. Got rough there, we got 35 years. episodes in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, plus three Christmas specials. That's right. So, uh, the first page of this issue. Uh, 22 minutes in, man. Oh, first my God. Page. We are doing it. We are doing it. We're back. It's like we never left. <laughs> uh Colossus and Kitty are uh, sitting on the shore. Not a tree to be found because he's ripped them all out. True. Um, and he's barely said a word to her, if he's said a single word to her, since they returned. Um, and she, <laughs> he says, it's a lovely day. And she says, it sure is. Long pause. 
long, uncomfortable pause. So you've hardly talked to me. What's going on? And he just says, I met someone else. We fell in love. Just tore the Band-Aid right off. Yeah. And the pacing of the art. It's so good. It's so good. He's talking and you're reading her thought bubbles as she's just dissecting everything that he's saying. The one that gets me was the, he says she was, because Kitty asks if she was pretty. And he says, as beautiful as the dawn, as gentle as a spring rain. You should have done that in your Russian accent, Jerry. Oh, I'm sorry. And then she hits, she starts thinking poetry from a man who said he never had the words. It is a bummer because Claremont handles this so beautifully. Like you feel for both of them. I mean, I obviously feel more for Kitty than I do for Colossus because he's just an idiot. Yeah. But he's an idiot who thinks what he's feeling is genuine and. Yeah. Well, I mean, for him, it's real. True. Like Wolverine saw it happen, saw it happen to everybody that got healed by her and. He knows what the score is, but you can tell that to Colossus as long as you want. This could probably be, like, the moment where Kitty, like, really, for me, comes into her own as a character. Because of how well she handles Colossus is handling it like a bitch. Oh, ho! Like, he even gets defensive and mean at one point, and she's handling it like a champ. She's having her heart ripped out and stomped on, and she still has, like, the wherewithal at what at the young age that she's at, when she's like, I'm sorry for your loss, Peter, she must have meant the world to you. The fact yeah. that she could muster that up while he's breaking her heart at her young age, yeah, pretty solid stuff from Kitty. Yeah, he's uh, completely heartless in the way he handles it, but she even, I, he's he's dead inside. Oh, for sure. Like, he's dead inside. Yeah, I would have been too if I was it, stuck in Secret Wars. <laughs> Uh, and that is not making excuses for him, uh, that he treated her like shit. He did. And she took it on the chin. He doesn't even, she even mentions that he no longer calls her Katya. That he immediately, like, refers to her as Kitty. And, uh, she's like, what changed? And he was like, I have. Fuck. The old, it's not you, it's me. I invented it's not you, it's me. Right? So then she's like, all right, hit the bricks, Pete. Like, she finally is just like, okay, I've heard enough of this crap. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. So she saunters off back to the school and leaves this dope to look out at the sunset or sunrise, whichever it is. Doesn't uh, matter. Think about Zsa Zsa. Idiot. Oh, you know what? I think it's getting dark, so it's sunset. It is, yeah, it's sunset. So then she's walking by the school, and she sees uh, Storm, and she's lamenting the fact that Storm, like, you know how when something happens to you, and everybody knows first, you're the last one to know. thinks I'm a chump. Everybody knew, and nobody said a word to me. It was like episode 35 of the podcast, when we got done recording, and Jerry was like, hey, Sean, word on the street is, Nobody likes you. We got to pack it in. <laughs> yep, that's what happened. Like, I thought everybody was cool with me. And he was like, no, you drag it on. You never talk about the issues. Our podcast wind up being three hours because you won't shut the F up. I'm just giving the people what they want. It's true. 
so she's bummed out. And then, so she's basically like, she's pissed off. She's like, don't worry about it, Storm. Don't even come down here and check on me as she's walking by her window looking at her. She's like, I'm going to be tough like you. I'm going to get a mohawk. I'm going to become heartless. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how much Kitty's going through still the struggle of Storm's personality change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing. hold on. She comes back from Japan with that mohawk. And Kitty's like... What the fuck? But didn't that mohawk happen because she was hanging out with Yukio? Yes. So Yukio couldn't have been the young girl. Who is that young girl? Oh, that was, young girl is. I was someone... thinking of um, uh, Death Strike. Okay. All her backstory happened in like Daredevil or something, right? Yeah. So yeah, her first, I was always her lost. first appearance was in Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. I tracked those issues down too, and I can't even recall because I've read too much crap. This is where the thing got, like, the beast got out of control. Yeah. Because now I have too much X-Men stuff in my head that the really important stuff, like who that character is. Editor's note. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. We really screwed the pooch on this one. The little girl's name was Amiko Kobayashi, and she spent some time with Mariko before being moved on to some really terrible parents who kept her in squalor, followed by Yukio, and then the Silver Samurai. You can find those stories, well, pretty much all over the place, but the quintessential Amiko story takes place beginning in Wolverine number 300. Right out there. Anyways, back to it. Whether or not she was important is debatable. So this is in classic Jerry form. She holds it together until she makes it to her bedroom and closes the yeah. door and then, and then uh just breaks down and magic is there. Yeah. To little Ileana gives her a hug. Knowing that with her, her feathered bangs. Yeah, knowing that her brother just did this. It is weird, man. It's tough. I wonder if she knew yet. She knew so. there was conflict. Yeah. Like, she knew there was something weird. I'll bet he didn't tell her what happened. Probably not. She just knew that Kitty loved him. Yeah. I think she could pick up on that. Yeah. Because she's really hoping that Kitty loves her. I think that's how this was eventually probably supposed to play out. Mm. Right. They Keep were probably, it in the family. Yeah. They were probably going to be together at some point, I'm sure. Some kind of BDSM. Yeah thing yeah we're not on marvel noise anymore fuckers that's right yeah (laughs) so then rose going crazy inside the uh, rogue in the danger room activating a combat sequence fighting a robot that they didn't try to make into toys because this isn't secret wars no this is about the story not commercialization the story get it claremont yeah uh, she, she's pushing herself too hard and Storm sees that she's in trouble. So she tries to shut the sequence off, but instead it goes in for the kill. Yep. But not before Storm hits it with a pit blast. And you get to see a cool shot of her. Like I said, high fashion. Got the little overcoat, the shoulder yeah. pads, the little Kirby crackle on her hand. Looking tough. Way tougher than Rogue. Who's like, don't touch me, my my clothes are all torn, and and you could touch me and absorb, and then I have you rattling around in my head. Right. So she hightails it out of there, and Storm, man, 
in this moment is I think the coldest she has ever been because yeah. she's basically going over like, uh, professor, you pick a poor time, a piss poor time to take off rogues out of control. Like, and I don't really know what's going to happen between Peter and Kitty. And then she thinks I love Peter dearly, but better. He had died on the beyonders world than returned to bring my kitty such grief. And like, Having her say this after Kitty was just outside her window, like, you don't give a shit about me, just being yeah. a, a mad teenager that, uh -huh. you know, like, oh, that's, that is heartbreaking. Yeah, so this is, this is like the flip side of the coin to the, um, uh, what's the Apple TV soccer show? Ted Lasso. Ted, this is like the, the anti-Ted Lasso, right? Like, Ted Lasso People say what they're feeling, and it feels good. It does. And, like, the relationships are kind of healthy because people talk out their feelings. That and show they... is such a warm hug. Me and Ashley watched it, like, five times in a row. We couldn't watch anything else when that first season came out. I was just like, want to watch Ted Lasso again? <laughs> it felt so good. Yeah. Well, this is the opposite, right? Like, people can't say what they're feeling, and so people make assumptions, and they make bad assumptions, like, this person hates me. I hate that person, but they think that I love them. And Is this about us? Maybe. <laughs> uh, but you're right. And interesting twist because this is another Logan don't moment. I think that was a Tumblr I found once. There's just examples of <laughs> Storm telling Logan not to do things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she was just spent a week on Battleworld complaining about Professor X trying to take over the team from her. And now they're back and Professor X isn't around and she can't handle things. So which is it? Yeah. Which is it? Maybe we should have left Cyclops in charge. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He would have taken the Reavers out. Yeah. So then we cut to Colossus moping back to his room and Wolverine runs into him. Been waiting for him yep. in the dark. In the dark, Sean. That's not good. Yep. So Colossus is like, I'm trying to clear my thoughts. And Logan's like, we're going to get out of here. And uh, you're coming into town with us. And Colossus is like, not really in the mood for it. And Wolverine gives him the old tough guy. I wasn't asking. And so Nightcrawler notices out the window. He sees the car, all Chaz X1, <laughs> all gassed up in the driveway. I don't know how yes. I, dude. Yes. I don't know where that came from, but I was like, <laughs> I remember that. Okay. So he sees that and he's like, oh shit. I know what Logan's about to do. So he's not doing it. He was supposed to tell me because Nightcrawler needs to be there to maybe play referee with what might happen because Logan doesn't seem to be in a good drinking mood. No. But an angry drinking mood. Yeah. And Peter being as stupid as he's been lately, is just like, sure, I'll go with that angry Canadian midget to a bar. Well, he didn't ask. That's true. So, yeah, obvious that they had a discussion about how this was going to play yeah. out before. And Wolverine tried to sneak out uh -huh. without Nightcrawler noticing, but thankfully, he's a teleporter. So he teleports into the car, and then they're off to Harry's hideaway or somewhere. Into the city. And, oh, yeah, into the city. I was surprised. I, I thought say, they'd well, you know. be somewhere familiar and local, but... No. No, he wanted to take 
Peter somewhere where they wouldn't run into anybody that might help him out. Yeah. <laughs> so then Storm, you know, goes up to Kitty's room to finally check on her and Kitty's packing up shop. She's basically like, listen, this, I'm not sticking around for this. Storm's body language. You notice this? Yeah. She's like, her, her overcoat, her, 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 um, her collar is up and buttoned all the way up. She's hands She's got her, her hands in her she pockets together, like very closed off. But I, it's, right? I think because of everything that Storm's going through emotionally with her change, powers, all that type of stuff, we're about to get it. We're about to get into the forge of it all eventually. Shortly after this, right? Yeah, uh, she's she's uh, a few issues away from losing three her power. issues away, maybe. Yeah. So you can tell she's clearly going through something, and I mean, that's the fucking beauty of the art, is even the fact that you can kind of tell. Like, she's sitting there, she wants to hug her, she wants yeah. to be there for her, but she's also seeing Kitty kind of, like, realize, like, like Kitty's kind of going through all sorts of, she jokes that, like, like she loves Peter so much that she even feels like she wished she could resurrect Zhaji and bring her back for him, like, that's how much she loves Peter. And Yeah. So... How like, do you compete with a ghost? At least then yeah. she'd be able to, like, fight for his love. Right. But with her dead, she can't. Um, Can we talk about this last panel on this page? Because, like, so Storm gives... I was reading this last night. The Storm gives... It's the first time I've ever noticed this, which is what I love about going back and reading these issues. So Storm gives her the hug, and she's like, I hate him, Aurora, with all my heart. And then there's another panel, and it's this kind of further away shot of the two of them smaller hugging and she's like i love him and there is the creepiest 70s porn star poster uh-huh. in the room yeah it's like the whole point of it looks actually that looks kind of like 70s stanley i i am gonna guess because of the mustache this Gabe is supposed Kaplan. to be <laughs> she's a big cotter fan <laughs> I'm gonna guess Magnum PI. Okay. Because what is this, Bobby DeCosta's room? I I think. That, oh, Ileana. That, I'll bet it's Ileana's poster, and we know they love Magnum. Oh, she's been soul sorting herself to Magnum. Oh. Either that. Is or that it's, her first childhood crush, Magnum uh, PI? It's Oats from Hall and Oats. That's true. Yeah, hard to tell, but so. What I want to say about this page is that this page was for sale a few years back, and you didn't buy it. I did not buy it, but it was it was attainable, and with I, Gabe Kaplan on it, right? I love this page though. The so the I know, the, the opening sequence is well done, but I love the those last four panels on the bottom of the page. Um, the panels get smaller. Uh, so she does the thing where she's laughing with her head up in the air to like keep herself from crying, but she can't. So she starts crying into her hands, and then Aurora finally hugs her. And so the panels get smaller as they zoom out, and it's just like this great transition. Um, and it like gives me an emotional response. Like they're controlling my emotions. Just by the way that the panels are laid out yeah. on the page. It's weird. I don't know how to describe it. It's fantastic. I'm not an artist, but I have an emotional response to art. And I really... It tore me up to not be able to afford this page. It was... I mean, I probably would have bought it now. Yeah. 
Um, but it was just a few years too early. I'm sorry. Well. So then we cut to Dallas. Dallas. Texas. Yep. And you've got uh, the uh, Mutant Affairs Bill by uh, Senator Kelly was just brought into the public eye, or basically at least oh, like the government yeah. level. That was introduced at the very last page of the last yep. issue. So Val's talking about that, and she's talking about how like we need, Val's basically like the government needs to get a handle on mutants, have some on our side before some other country decides it. Who's she and talking to? She's talking to who she thinks is an assistant or a colleague, uh-huh. but uh, it's actually Raven Darkholm. That's and this right. has been actually set up for quite some time that they've been working together. <laughs> and I really like, that's another thing that I really like enjoyed about Claremont's run was just how much, it's just all, like I know the term world built, but just how much, this, like how long ago Cooper was introduced and the part that she plays. And I just, I love Claremont's use of just other characters that aren't, yeah. And the fact that they do go to other books and stuff with him, I just, mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. Yeah, they don't just show up, right? Yeah. Like, like Mystique doesn't just show up mad at the world one day and she's going to set off a nuke. Right. Like, they, they get you there. Yeah. It just, it feels more, I think, cinematic than some of the stuff today, which is supposed to be cinematic. Right. But actually isn't, because this is like a more of a slow-moving story, mm-hmm. you know. It's taking you on a journey, and I it's love it. Definitely more long form television than it is. Yes, movies, movies for sure, absolutely. So then we uh, we get their conversation where basically Mystique is like, "You dumb bitch, you don't know that I'm one of those mutants sitting here gonna mess your stuff up." So then we cut back to Manhattan, and we're at Monahans, which I don't know if that was actually a real place, but it'd be cool if it was. Yeah, I wanted to check. I didn't have time. Yeah, I didn't have time. So everybody's drinking, and uh, they obviously went out to dinner or ate at this bar. Maybe Monahan's is like a steakhouse. Who knows? I don't know, but they clearly ate. And uh, so Pete goes and gets the rounds, and uh, because he's nearly twenty, and that's legal. Yeah, in 1984. And basically, Five. Kurt gets him to go up to the bar to get the drinks, so he can basically have one final word with Logan since this all happened so quickly, of like, hey, he's just a boy, take it easy on the kid, and Wolverine, then he deserves a spanking. If he's a man, though, it's time he faced the consequences of his actions. Either way, I'm taking a piece out of him. So he is pissed. And so then it cuts to hours later. Clearly they've been, after a great many drinks, and heated Increasingly heated words. So basically, they're asking him to uh, apologize to Kitty. And he's like, is it so wrong that I fell in love with somebody else, Logan? And that's when Logan reiterates what he was talking about in Secret Wars, which was, boy, that was not love. And Logan's been around long enough to know, and especially after having just, when they were in Japan, uh, lost Mariko... Uh, to the deal of her having to bring honor back to the Shishida clan name mm-hmm. before they could get married. And Colossus even brings that up. Throws it in his face. Yeah. How can you, after what you just did, tell me how to behave? And uh, Wolverine takes it in stride. Like, old Wolverine would have just put his claws right through his oh, forehead. Yeah. But 
uh, older, wiser Wolverine is older. Guy's like 150 years old. What are yep. we saying? And um, it is. He, he lets him have it. He's like kind of, he's explaining the whole thing from the fact that Kitty isn't a kid. Like, you two weren't playing games. Clearly this was going to go somewhere eventually, even if it wasn't today. Mm-hmm. And you basically found yourself caught up in the first thing that happened. First shiny object that shined your way. And you got spooked when Doug Ramsey showed up. Yep. More compatible. More in common. The same age. Yep. Not inappropriate like you. And you felt threatened and were looking for an out. Yeah, so when he throws the Mariko thing in his face, wise old Logan is basically like, we did that for honor, and that transcends love. Totally hurts, but that's what's going on. So they basically, like, Colossus then does the dopey thing of like, well, if I truly love Kitty, how could I fall for somebody else? Which is just dumb, and he basically, like, calls it out, because fear makes a boy do stupid things. And then... Logan quickly, as they're having this conversation, you can see through the panels that he picks up a scent. And I love the way that this is done, that everyone is kind of like blurred mm-hmm. and it's getting clearer and clearer until he locks onto the scent that he knows. Like, it's just such a great panel and it, it's subtle. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, I don't even know if you even pick it up the first time that you read it, but. Man, I love that. And so, initially, like, coming at this from a person who read Logan long after this, you know, came in in the 90s when he, you know, you could drop a vat of lava on him and he'd come back. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see how quickly he's basically like, shit, I wanted some trouble tonight, but I didn't want this trouble. Because this trouble is... The Juggernaut. Yeah, it's the Juggernaut, bitch! And Logan quickly realizes, we gotta hightail it out of here. We have not, like, we're out of our league right now. Yeah. We just got done with all this other stuff. We don't need this hassle. He's just kind of getting out of here. So, Kurt notices that he's grabbing his coat and packing things up prematurely. And Logan's just like, don't even, just port ahead, get us out of here. And, uh... Young boy Colossus, with a too few many ales in his system, <laughs> decides, no, you can't tell me what, you can't tell me what you, to do, Logan. You're not going to tell me. And so he Tiny stumbles man. back in and dumps a beer onto Kane Marco, who's just trying to get himself a piece, not of Colossus. No. But of some barmaid. And so he, He's now, like, this yeah. is this is some high class piece. That's right. And so he shoves Colossus. And if Colossus wasn't Colossus, this could have been a real dangerous thing because he basically shoves him through a wall. Colossus comes out all steeled up. Nightcrawler goes to jump in, and Wolverine stops him. <laughs> They get some chairs thrown over them, and then they let Colossus and Juggernaut go to town. Yeah, so it, it Logan's like, Juggernaut's just going to do to him what I would have done to right. him anyway. <laughs> Maybe pull that back a little bit. I don't think the Juggernaut 
and you are quite on the same level. Right? So all the bystanders are watching, checking the fight, and then it starts to get serious. Like, basically, Juggernaut is now like, oh, I'm sick and tired of you, ex-goons. I just got out of this crap with Spider-Man, because Spider-Man had just, what was it, uh, 210, 211, something like that? 230. Okay. A Ramita-drawn issue. Nice. Yep. Um, so he's just got out of that where Spider-Man trapped him in concrete. Yeah. And all he wants to do, you know, is fucking drink, drink some beer beers and, and talk to some girls. Yeah. And meanwhile, Colossus is like, I don't even know you. This that guy, <laughs> right? Wolverine's yelling at me and now you're hitting me with, what is going on? And so Kane's had enough of this, so he picks up the bar. And when he picks up the bar and slams it, slams the entire bar down on Colossus, that's when everybody's like, oh, this isn't Uh-oh. just two dudes <laughs> messing around. Let's hightail it out of Monahans. So then the chicks obviously run out of there, so he's pretty bummed about that. Oh, yeah, that. They, they show uh, the previous page. So she's already moved on to another guy. Yeah. Who looks to me like Burn? Looks like Burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I had to go back to the beginning and be like, Are we sure this is a Romita Junior <laughs> issue, and not a Burn issue? And sure enough, there's John Burn. He's like, All right, it might be a dig on Burn based on the guy's fate. It could be. So the two of them go at it, and uh, finally the Juggernaut decides the fight's over, and he just drops the entire building. Yep. Right on Colossus. And in the classiest move, Juggernaut grabs a whole roll, wadded out roll of cash and tosses it at Logan and goes, you know, don't get in my way and give this to the owner so we can fix this place. So. And tell the kid he did himself proud. Good yeah. fight. I, I, I kind of like this I, Juggernaut. I do kind of like this like, Juggernaut a lot. I could see him and Wolverine, like, hanging out. Right. They seem like they'd be buddies in another Yeah, this life. is definitely not Juggernaut hanging out with Sammy the Fish Boy. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, man. And then Wolverine does to Colossus's soul what Juggernaut just did to his body. Yeah. Colossus stumbles up, and uh, basically Logan's like, hey, he's stumbling up to get back to fighting the Juggernaut, and basically Logan's like, fight's over, you lost. And Colossus gets pretty pissed, starts yelling at him about how you made him fight alone, and we're X-Men, we're supposed to stand by each other. And Logan and his coolest, you know, tough guy, I'm lighting my cigarette while I'm giving you the business. Gives him the old, that's the theory. And Colossus hits him with the, you betrayed my trust. And uh, that's when he kind of points out, hey man, how are we supposed to help you out? Like, you don't have Kitty's back. She's our teammate. You would go and, you know, betray her trust and go mess around with the first healing, mystical, floozy on Battleworld. And we're supposed to have each other's backs. And you didn't. And she bring, he brings up, the classic Kitty agreeing to the Morlocks deal of marrying Caliban so that Colossus would be free. And Logan's like, man, she was 14 when she did that. She agreed to stay down there. Like, you don't have half the stomach, guts, like, control. 
you're like you're a bigger kid than she is which i really liked claremont doing this because i think it spits in the face of shooters like they can't be together because of the age difference and it's like again i get it it was always a little bit weird but i never think it was acted on and then i think claremont does the best with what he can in kind of wrapping their tail up at the moment realizing that he can't undo this and shows that like truly the one who handled this like the adult was kitty yeah and colossus has just been homesick and messing around uh, from the jump and i mean i love that character but this was you know yeah and i love the fact i mean i don't like i just miss issues like this and i know that they're still out there and i know there's i mean i read obviously new current books too but i just and i know it's probably the old man in me but like you wouldn't this would be three issues now or to be a page, like it, it's like yeah. this is given the exact amount of time that it needs. It moves everyone forward, like everyone. You know where the team stands. You know where Colossus is at. It's just and like not a single superhero suit in it the entire time. It's just them hanging out. This is like like you said the dramatic soap opera stuff of it that makes you actually care about these characters instead of them just being like disposable superheroes. Yeah part of my problem with everybody freaking out about phase four of the mcu and like oh it needs to be endgame again it's like now it took a long time to get there and now yeah. they need to reset the board and yeah. get that you know there's no everybody wants everything now 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 mm-hmm. that stories like this i feel like at least amongst big time superhero con- like the concept i'm sure they're all over the place in indie books yeah. but as far as like the big two go i feel like the in between the big moment stuff is happening less and less. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get it. There's, I don't think that's what sells books. No, I know. But I mean, it what's, makes them last. Yes. Yep. This is a moment that's, I think, in a lot of ways, sort of like, um, like the end of Civil War, the film, where it's all blown up. Yeah. Like, nobody trusts each other anymore. Um, this team is fractured, broken, and you're like, how can it ever be right again? Claremont was so good at doing that throughout the entire run, though. Like, you go back and read just his run, and it's like, it was constantly moving forward. Might not have liked where you were going, but, Mm -hmm. like, everything kind of, like, makes sense when you look back at it. So the team kind of losing it here, and this all leading into, like, this all leads into the mutant massacre and then them yeah. being messed up and how that splits the team and gets some of them to go to Australia. And like, mm-hmm. and all of it lasts for a while. Like, you know that, like, it's the first time where you kind of, like, for me, I realized, like, oh, none of this stuff lasts forever. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't complain about some of the changes because it's all going to come around eventually. Yeah. You know? It's crazy how much he shifted the team, like naturally and organically, and made it feel more real mm-hmm. during those years. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't feel like a new writer and artist are coming in. Who do you want to write? Who do you want to draw? That's the team now. Yeah, it like happened in the story. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot more like slower downtime stuff than there was necessary, you know, where you got to like kind of hash out these things that made the team move, mm-hmm. you know? 
And yeah. then my generation came along and fucked everything up. <laughs> you were just a child when that happened. I know, can't but take I mean, any blame for that. I know, but I championed the 90s for so long. And they're like... You weren't alone. See you, Claremont. Let's replace you with the new artist. And then they're gone in a couple months. Yeah. I, that's... It's a double-edged sword. I mean, if you give a guy 10 years on a title... 17 you, years. You can you can get this. If it's not your cup of tea... It's a long... You're, yeah. you're doomed. If that's yeah. your... If those are your characters and the bad writer... Oh, yeah, like the, the decade post-Morrison of X-Men. Excuse me. Yeah, I definitely, like, you know, as as time goes on and it goes faster, the longer that you're here, the more I'm like, yeah, I'm probably just going to reread this stuff over and over again. Yeah. Find the really, That's been my thing with, like, looking at the other rest of the titles. It's just like, all right, find the stuff that really counts. Mm-hmm. That's part and part of the second reread of everything. It's been like, what can I get rid of? What am I never going to read again? <laughs> so two things to point out before we wrap this up. Oh, yeah. The floozy that Juggernaut was about to hook up with has taken John Byrne up to the roof of a nearby building, the next door building, and uh, has sucked the life out of him. You've been there, Jerry. Yeah, he's a, a desiccated carcass with empty eye sockets. Yeah, and it turns out this is the first appearance of Celine. I think so. Editor's note: No, 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 no. This is not her first appearance. Celine first appeared in New Mutants number nine, which we covered on Great Expectations. Episode 32. Enjoy. Uh, she's returned and will be a thorn in the X-Men's side for the next two years. This starts her uh, becoming Rachel's nemesis. Yeah. She's hunting Rachel and then she joins the Hellfire Club. Yeah. yeah she's, she's a badass bitch, man. Yeah. She's bad. She's, if I only, mean... If only we were going to have another episode to talk about what uh, she might do. Maybe seven years from now. And then, so that's one thing. And the next thing I want to mention... Oh, yeah. ...is the first ad for the new New Mutants, written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. Don't call them ex-babies anymore. We never got to cover the Sienkiewicz stuff, did we? I don't think... Hmm. I thought we got some of it. We did Demon Bear, yeah. for sure. We had we did Slumber Party. I, don't know, I have to go I'm back. Sure, and we did. I, just, I I lose where we were at when it happened because I'm like, did we ever talk about this issue? We didn't because we would have talked about Secret Wars. I don't think we ever got this far. Oh, maybe you're right. We should have done some research. Maybe you're right. Yeah. So, um, damn, that's a gorgeous piece of art right there. Ah, oh, Sinkovich, man. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Until next time. Yeah? When's that? Soon. Christmas? Never. <laughs> sure, either one. I don't know. Christmas or never? Christmas or never. Check back in Christmas. If we're not here, it's never. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming back and hanging out with us, everybody. We missed you while we were gone. Yeah. You know who the two of you are. That's right. 
Alright, bye. This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!